I, I said that in much of January and February, we'd be looking at some of the early chapters of John 1, uh, of John, and particularly into John 1 in January. And uh, I'm going to read a few words from John 1 verse 9 down to 13, and we're going to focus in on particularly verses 12 and 13. So remember, John, he's writing in a different style than the other Gospels towards the end of his life. He's writing and looking back uh, on what he's learnt. Most of the other Gospels are very looking at the history, uh, the, 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 the parables. John's looking more at the mystery and the miracles of Jesus. And in the prologue, in, in, the, in the bit that he wants us to use as our lens to look through the rest of his story, he's, we talked about life is a big theme for John. Light is a big theme for John as well. And we're coming on to another of the big themes of John this morning. So verse 9 of chapter 1 onwards. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Here are our focus verses for this morning. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. I like children. I like children running around when we're in communion, just to relieve the, the stress of the parents who might be going, oh no, because I don't mind that. I don't mind that at all. Uh, I love children. I used to be a child once myself. And it's hard to believe, but I did. And uh, John, uh, as well as talking about life and light, one of the other consistencies in his in his uh, in his writings, not the only New Testament writer to go there, but one of his consistencies is talking about children of God. The New Testament tells us in other places, actually, by our nature, we're children of wrath, children of sin, children of darkness. But John introduces us to this fact that through faith in Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, we enter into a personal relationship with God that John defines here as being given the right to become children of God. Jesus gives to those who receive him, a right to membership in the family of God. So in a few weeks' time, when we baptize those 35 people, or however many, <laughs> I'm exaggerating. I was pleased with one, the fact that we might have four or five people being baptized is lovely. When those people are baptized, well, part of their story is they've received that right to be a child of God. And I hope it, you realize that it's a right that you've got as well. That, that Greek word there, exousia, it means the ability, the privilege, the delegated authority, the influence that we have to be children of God. Let's remember we haven't earned that right. We don't deserve it. None of us is sitting, none of the baptismal candidates, I don't want to preach my baptismal sermon now, but it just it's on my mind. None of those baptismal servants are saying, here I am, I'm good enough. I deserve to be called a child of God. We're all saying, actually, we don't deserve this at all, but that's part of God's incredible grace and mercy on us that he calls us children of God. And it says here to become 
It's, it talks about a journey of becoming. We're all children of God. Those of us that are in our 60s and 70s and 80s, in one way we're mature believers, but in another way we are still children of God. I am, I'm 62, I'm going to be 63 this year. You're thinking, that's astonishing. How can a man that full of vitality and looking so young and handsome be that, be that old? But I'm still a father of my children. I'm still a son of my father. And so we never, like discipleship, we never graduate from being a child of God. And actually, the Greek word here, again, uh, techna, that John uses consistently for, uh, for children, it's a bit like that Scottish word, if I pronounce it right, bairns, isn't it? So when they talk about bairns, babies, wee ones, I think, I think the sort of longer version of it is, is born ones. And that's what God calls us. You are a born one. Yes, you've been born humanly, but actually what John's getting at is you've been born again spiritually. And that God looks favorably on us as people who are born ones, born, like it says in the scripture here, uh, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, obviously, all of us have been born of natural descent. We've all been born by a human decision or a husband's will. But John is getting at something else, something more long-lasting, something that gives us entry into that Zoe life that we were talking about before. Something that enables us to be people who are walking in light, not in darkness. These are all the themes that John's talking about. That word is used in the, in the, in the parable of the lost son. If we were talking about children of God, uh, we could have gone to many places in Scripture, couldn't we, this morning, but we're focusing on this. In the lost son, you know that story where... Well, it says, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. When he says, my son, it's that same word, my child, born one. It's that lovely, affectionate phrase. And John is saying that believers are God's little ones. We're related to God our father by the spiritual rebirth that we have through Jesus. I'm not sure if I said this last week, but for John, one of his other things, believing is really important for John. He never uses the word belief, the noun belief, but he uses the verb believing lots and lots and lots. So for John, believing is an active thing. It's, part, it's something we live out of. It's not just some abstract thing that we hold up here in our minds. And so I want to say three things this morning that I think impact our lives by these words. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The first one is this. If we really embrace that and live in that, it changes the way we relate to God himself. It changes the way we relate to God himself. In, in his later writings, John writes three pastoral epistles. One of his roles in, the, in later in his life uh, he's overseeing churches in Asia, but he's also writing pastoral epistles to churches that he fears are being ripped apart. And so he throws into the mix there the importance of, of love, being loved and loving others. And he says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we 
are. You might not feel like it, but you are a child of God. And how has God given you that? He hasn't just said, well, here's a little portion for you, like we're handing out little bits of bread and we get into the end of communion and we think, oh dear, have we got enough bread? Have we got enough wine? We, we did this morning, we were okay. What's the phrase there? The love that the Father has lavished on us. There is a God in heaven who created you and has brought you back into his family and loves you so much that he wants to express and show that love to you lavishly, enormously, overflowingly. Now, if we see God as some type of divine policeman, we will never get to that place of receiving his love. See, some of us have grown up with this idea that God is on the lookout for our sin, that he's completely disinterested in us until we step out of line, and then he gets his heavenly ruler out and smacks us on the hand. You know, if we step out of line, he might occasionally let us off, and we'll be grateful for that, but love will never enter into it. And I know I'm exaggerating a bit, but that's sometimes how we approach love from people, uh, God, some people outside the church, but still some people inside the church. This is like, you know, it's like Christianity for them is like living in North Korea. You know, there's the supreme ruler, and don't you dare say anything against the supreme ruler, and, and you know, just keep your head down and get on with it, and you'll be okay. But he should be feared and revered. So policeman, population, divine ruler and subjects, but never father and children. And when we read the Bible, we read that, yes, God is the almighty, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-present God. But one and the same time, he wants to relate to you and me as our father and bring us in as his children. So when we really embrace this, it begins to change the way that we relate to God. The relation is a spiritual relationship, not a biological relationship. It's not a natural relationship. It's a supernatural relationship. There's no extra privilege from family connections or history, which, of course, many Jews reading this believe. Remember, the Jews were called the children of Israel. They thought they, thought they were God's children by birth. And Jesus comes along and there's a new covenant, a new way of relating to God. I was talking earlier, I was introducing Ben to Dan, who was sitting there. Is he, he's out with the kids, isn't he? Yeah. So, um, Ben comes, I think we mentioned this last week, Ben comes from a great heritage in Elim of the Tugwell family. But uh, Dan and Becky Mitzi Harris, Dan, uh, Dan's dad is Steve Harris, Pastor, in, we was in City Church in Cardiff, now in Caerphilly. Steve and I uh, shared an office in Cardiff for many years together. Um, so there's two sort of Elim dynasties sitting here this morning of generations and families. But however exciting and good that is, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. So whatever family Dan was born into or Ben was born into, doesn't make them a Christian any more than if I was born in McDonald's, it would make me a hamburger. Oh, I've started thinking about hamburgers now. That's it. I've completely got distracted. <laughs> 
So this, this passage is saying, you can come from the best family tradition ever. You can come from the worst, most dysfunctional family tradition ever. Actually, that's not important. What's important is you've been called to be a child of God. And so really that leads me on to the second thing, is that changes the way we relate to ourselves. I'll read this verse and then we'll go on to that. So you've not received, a, this is Paul writing. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he did what? Adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And so Paul adds to the mix that John's already producing of being a child of God by talking about adoption, spiritual adoption. God has chosen us. God has adopted us. Most people would rather have been born into a loving family than be adopted into one. But with respect to God's family... It's like birth and adoption happen all at once. And we're birthed and adopted into God's family. And anyone who believes in Jesus is born of God and is also adopted into God's family. And again, the Greek word there, without getting too technical, it's about being specifically placed for a purpose. God has specifically placed you, Jane, I'm not saying that because you're right in front of me, but he specifically placed you in his family not just accidentally, not just randomly, but for a purpose. Dave, you're not, you haven't sneaked in the back door into God's family. He's deliberately, willingly, lavishly placed you in his family for a purpose. When we begin to talk like that, if we really believe that, doesn't that, wow, I'm valuable in God's sight. I don't deserve it, but I'm valuable in God's sight. What does it mean to live as a child of God? And so it changes the way that we relate to ourselves. I think that's the next slide, is it? Right, right here. It changes the way we relate to ourselves. We start thinking differently about ourselves. If God says I'm precious, if God says I'm a child of God, of God if God's deliberately put me in his family then just perhaps I am worth something. Just perhaps I am special in his sight. Just perhaps he does have a plan and purpose for me. Just perhaps there is a heavenly father who I can cry out to whenever I need him. Perhaps there is somebody on my side. Perhaps whatever my earthly family situation might be, and we're not belittling earthly families, are we? Jesus lived in an earthly family for 30 years, but we know the realities that some of us have had. And talking to you all, I can't, I can't see anybody in this room who's had the perfect family. You know, if we wanted to tell family tales of woe, we'd have to be booking this building for about a week, wouldn't we? To get around everybody's stories. So let's be real, we know earthly families are tough and hard, but we're superseding this by our heavenly family that God is inviting us into. And as Paul writes in Galatians, he gives us 
it gives us this opportunity to call out Abba, Father. Now, I've said this once or twice before, that the, the, the theologians, the Bible scholars, are in dispute about this word Abba. Many of them say it was a very formal word that was used. In, he, he, it was a word that would be used like sort of saying Father or Peter, you know, uh, a very posh way, a very formal way. Dad calls you into his study. He's sitting behind the leather desk, you know, with his smoking jacket on. Hello, Father. You know, some say it's that sort of formal way. And others say, no, 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 you've got that wrong. As we read it, we think it's like Daddy. It's like, it's like a little kid sitting on his dad's lap, looking, gazing into his eyes and saying, Daddy. I think actually there's an element of truth in both. Because that, that incredible, awesome, perfect, majestic God, who, who we should be bowing down and worshipping, who we should feel we're not worthy of his presence, who we should be calling all the formal and glorious names under the sun, but one at the same time invites us into his presence as a loving father. It's astonishing, isn't it? He is your dad forever. God sees all your brokenness, all my mess, all our failure, and still loves us with a love that never changes. And that's important because some of us think we've got to earn God's love. Some of us think we need to perform well enough for God to give us his approval. And that might be because of our family background. That might be because of the type of dads that we've had. Twenty, thirty years ago, Philip Yancey, a famous Christian writer, wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. And one of the lines in it, he said this, there is nothing you can do to make God your father love you any more than he already does. There's nothing you can do in your life that will make God love you any less than he already does. Isn't that a perfect father? Now, there might be things that we do and we say, or things we don't do when we don't say that grieve God, that hurt God, offend God, but it doesn't change his perfect, lavish love for us. And you see, if we live a life that we're thinking, I'm over here and I've just got to live my life, and if I can get a bit closer to the love of God, sneak up on him and, and put my arm around him while he's not looking, I might get away with it, then, then we're going to be doomed to fail. But if we live our life from that secure place of God's love, that's our starting point, God the Father's love for us shown through Jesus, then we can truly be the people that he wants us to be. And so when we realize these words from John, giving us the right to become children of God, first thing, that changes our understanding and our perception of who God is. Second thing, it changes our perception of who we are. One more, but let me tell you a story. There's a story of an adoption in, in Ukraine. It's about probably about 20, 25 years old, this story now, but, but I love it. Uh, like many orphanages in the old Eastern Bloc country, this one particular orphanage was full of children who'd been abandoned by their parents. Many of them uh, abandoned because of uh, physical or mental uh, disability. And so to go into this orphanage was a tremendously emotional time. And an American family traveled there with a the view of adopting a child. 
and the mother was called Joyce. And she said as she walked into this one dormitory, she saw a two-year-old girl. Beautiful. Blue eyes gazing at her. Impish little grin on this girl's face. But a big chunk of her face hideously deformed by a tumour. Which was why her parents had handed her over in, in the orphanage. And this lady Joyce said, my husband and I knew that there was something special in that girl's life that that tumour couldn't hide. And although we could have taken any of the children in that room, most of whom didn't look hideously deformed, they chose to take that little girl home with her. They called her Kristen and they wanted her to have more. She said, I want her to have more than just a new start. I want her to have a new life. And this child who was literally thrown away in Ukraine was given a new opportunity. So they took her back home, adopted her, and paid for a top surgeon in America to remove that tumour. And when the scars began to heal, everything about Kristen changed dramatically. She'd learnt a little bit of English by then, she chattered constantly. She ran up to her mum and threw herself in her mum's arms every day and said, Mummy, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, that story is a picture of what it was like when God found you and me. There were hideous disfigurements about you and about me that might have put off other people. Some of them were physical, some of them were mental, some of them were psychological, some of them were spiritual. You know, as well as I do, they were horrendous, weren't they? I just think of some of the things that were going on in my life and had affected my life before I gave my life to Jesus. You and I deserve to be discarded by the world. And we felt the reality of that, and it's painful. But God saw something in you and in me that nobody else did. God saw beyond the scars. God saw beyond the tumours. God saw beyond the ugliness, the pain, the hurt, the disfigurement. And he gave you new life in his son, Jesus. And now we're in that place of being healed. We, many of us are still, the operation is still ongoing, isn't it? God is still taking those tumours, those disfigurements, those things away from our life. And some of us are carrying no longer the wounds that hurt, but we're carrying the scars that point to healing. And everything about us is changing. Why? Because God has given us the right that if we've believed in his son Jesus, we can be children of God. And so when we embrace that, it changes the way we think about God, it changes the way we think about ourselves, and finally, changes the way we think about other people. Paul writes in Galatians, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus.
God loves us all equally, wants us to receive that right to be children of God. There's only two people, two types of people in this world, those who are already children of God and those who have the potential to be children of God. And when we start thinking about people like that, it changes this, doesn't it? If God can adopt me into his family, then there's a place for other people too. If God can adopt you in his family, isn't there a place for your neighbour? Isn't there a place for that family member that you're praying for? Isn't there a place for that person you find it really difficult to get on with? We've received God's grace and his love by believing and receiving. Others can too. If we've been adopted, if we've entered God's family, if we're co-heirs, the Bible says, that everything that Jesus has done for us means that we, we, you know, we're standing in that inheritance line with him for all that God wants to offer, then don't we want others to experience that as well? Isn't that the new life that we're talking about in church every week? There are no ordinary people in God's family. We've all got those embarrassing family members that we'd rather not talk about or see, the embarrassing uncle or aunt. I'm probably that uncle, am I? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah, thanks. Very gracious. But we have, haven't we? We've got the people in our family that we'd rather not talk about. But there are no people like that in God's family. They've all been given that right. We might not get on with them, we might not understand them, their theology might be different from ours, but they're children of God. And from the, and from the brightest and richest person on Barry Island to the, to the lowliest drunkard out there on the streets, the addict and the judge, God's love is available to them. And he wants nothing more for them than he's given to us, that they might be his children. And so we treat all believers with the same grace and love that God has poured out on us. And we try to offer that same grace and love to those who were created in the image of God, but might not be yet living as children of God. And so John writes again, in, in 1 John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has what? Has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. It's great, isn't it? Very simple. Three things that I hope we've rediscovered this morning. If we're children of God, Changes the way we think about God himself. Changes the way we think about ourselves. Changes the way we think about others. We're going to worship in a moment or two and Ben's going to come and pray with us. But I'm just going to encourage you to respond to that right now. And maybe some of you, you've never realized that love that God has given you as a child. And you need to, you need to 
claim that birthright, that new birthright right now of being his child. For others, you might just want to have that fresh infusion of the lavishness of the love of God your Father. So without saying anything or even coming out to the front, but those of you, you know you just want to stand and, and, and be overflowing again with that love of God the Father. Why don't you just stand right where you are? This is an indication to the Lord that you just want to receive that, that spirit of adoption anew and afresh again. Some of you, you, you still feel you're carrying those, those tumours, those pains, those hurts, those disfiguring things. And you might just want to permission God this morning to do that spiritual work, that surgery that you need. Ben, I'm wondering, would you come out and just pray over this? I'm going to stand and receive this prayer just as the rest of you are now. Let's pray. Stay. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we, 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 we're so grateful. We're grateful that not only do we gather together as one family, as a church family, and stand together and respond together as one family, but we're also invited into a relationship with you as you adopt us in and so, Father, we pray for every single person here who has, has felt that, who everyone who has stood, and some people maybe who, who feel like they should be responding, but don't feel like they can stand right now. Father, we pray that you would, you would teach us again what it means to be your child. And specifically within our lives, we would see you unveil yourself to us. That we would see you as this Father who loves us so deeply and closely. That not only would we see you differently, but we would see ourselves being robed with your love. And that we would see our community loved by you. Father, would you, by your presence and your spirit, come and invade our lives, our environments, our workplaces, our homes. Would we step into this new week feeling so much more loved, feeling so much more powerful, not because of anything or who we are, but because of who you are and who you have made us to be. Jesus, I pray that as we join into worship now and sing the song father we pray that chains would be lifted bondage would be taken away we would be amazed at what you are doing and what you continue to do within our lives we would be completely and utterly enthused with who you are would you meet every single one all of our needs Whatever it is, wherever it is, where we need to feel you right now. Would this be a moment of release? We pray.